Now then, are you someone who uh, likes something to look forward to? Do you like to kind of know what's coming? Or are you someone who likes surprises? Some people, you know, if you've got a party or a birthday or something, hands up if you, if you like a surprise. If you, you don't want to know, you want to be surprised. Okay, if you, hands up if you like to know what's coming, you like to anticipate, you like to look forward. Oh, I'd say the majority, okay. There we are, that's good to know. Well, then today we're going to kick off a little bit of a Christmas series. And the event that we're looking at today, you've got a bit of both, actually. It, you've got a, a, bit, a few surprises, but then also builds this sense of anticipation and excitement and the awareness that something is coming, that there's hope around the corner, and uh, looking forward to things ahead. So we're going to dive into it uh, today. So, oh, there we go, Advent calendar, first Sunday of Advent today. So uh, if you haven't got your Advent calendar ready for December the 1st, you've got a few days left. Anyway, this story that we're looking at today is in the beginning of Luke's gospel, and Luke obviously wrote a record of Jesus' life, you can find it in the New Testament in the Bible, and this story today, it runs alongside the story of Jesus' birth. Uh, Luke, who wrote, who recorded it, he was a doctor, he was a Greek, and he'd heard about Jesus after meeting Paul, uh, you can find his story in Acts, which Luke um, wrote as well. And he decided to investigate uh, Jesus' life. He went around and interviewed the eyewitnesses, he said, and he pulled together Jesus' story. And, but this is how he starts it um, uh, in Luke chapter 1, in the beginning. So it says this. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. And so this is kind of... Two people we're looking at today, Zechariah and Elizabeth, and immediately Luke puts them into like the context of the day. If you were reading this back in Luke's day or around then, immediately you would know from this first line in the days of King Herod kind of what life was like. Because King Herod, Herod the Great, he was a ruthless ruler. He had worked his way into power under the Romans, and uh, in 37 BC, the Roman Senate, they pronounced him king of Judea. They gave him an army, which he took into the region, and he like, enforced power upon the people through might, through scheming, through the use of this army, through his like, political nous. But he wasn't Jewish by birth, and so now he was king of Judea, and so he always felt vulnerable in his position, and it kind of made him paranoid. And so he was one of those like paranoid, power-driven leaders who would just ruthlessly kill off any threat he perceived to his own position, including some of his own children. So there was a saying, I'm not sure if I got it up here, no, there was a saying Caesar Augustus used to say, it's safer or it's better to be one of Herod's pigs than one of his children, because he even killed off some of his own uh, sons. And of course, we know what he did when he heard of Jesus' birth as well, which maybe we'll look at in a later week. So at the time, the people were living under this like cloud of oppression, they were under Herod's rule, they were under Roman rule, there'd be soldiers around who could just, you know, do whatever they wanted at any moment, you couldn't, you know, you couldn't really stand up to them, there was heavy taxes put on them, causing people, many people into poverty, so this was a tough time to live. Uh, but in the mix then, Luke mentions you've got this ordinary couple in the hill country of Judea, probably a poor rural town, Zechariah and Elizabeth. And we see how these are two people who loved God and loved people. And in turn, they were loved by their neighbors and their relatives and their friends. And Luke says here that they were righteous 
in God's eyes. He says, Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes. They lived right. They loved others. They were careful to obey all the Lord's commandments and regulations. But they had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. And so here we see that in their lives, as well as what was going on in the country, they had faced their own personal challenge, that they'd been unable to have children. They were now in their old age, and we see how this was a real source of pain for them, which in their day and in their culture as well would be like particularly heightened, and it would have been really hard, and it's something that they lived with all through their lives. But even still, even with this, they continue to serve God, to love people, and to live with purpose. And for Zechariah, the way, one of the ways he did this was he was a priest, as we saw earlier. And part of their job was to go and serve in the temple. And one time, Zechariah's um, uh, group, if you like, his tribe, they were on duty. And so he travels down to Jerusalem to serve in the temple. And this is what it says next. One day, Zechariah was serving, in God's temp- in, serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. He was on the rota. As was the custom of the priests... He was chosen by Lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned inside, a great crowd stood outside praying. And so this moment here, Zechariah, he's chosen to offer the incense in the sanctuary. And of all the different jobs the priests would do, this one was a real privilege. It was considered like holy and sacred and you would be entering into God's presence in a unique way, and not everyone would get to do it. We see here they cast lots to choose, you know, who would do it, so not everyone would get the opportunity to do it, and you could only do it once in your lifetime, and so this was like a, this was like the most important day in a priest's life, okay? So, you know, we got the World Cup going on at the moment, and, you know, everyone, you know, the, for Wales, the first time in it, probably not for very long, but the first time we're in it for 60, 60 plus years, so for those players, you know, a real privilege to be there, but not just the players, the referees as well. You know, all the countries that are in the World Cup, isn't it? One referee and the linesman get selected from each country to, to go and referee in the World Cup as well. So for them, it's a real privilege. And then one refereeing team will be chosen to referee the final. And that's like every referee's dream to referee the final and, you know, to be chosen and to be selected. And, you can only, and I think you can only do it once as well, potentially. And so this is like Zechariah's equivalent, okay? This is his, like, World Cup final for a Jewish priest back then. So this is a big deal. And, but the custom was you weren't allowed to linger and make the most of it. A bit like Wales at the World Cup. You had to get it over done with quickly. So <laughs> anyway, who knows? We could beat England 4-0, I think. We've got to win 4-0 to get through. So, you know, we can fast some prayers there between now and Tuesday. Who knows? Anyway, miracles could happen as we're going to see in this story. <laughs> so the idea was you were going to the sanctuary, you were to burn the incense, and you were coming to come out as quickly as possible. But Zechariah goes in, and something amazing happens. This is what it says next. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. And then the angel 
who's Gabriel, goes on to prophesy about the amazing things that John will go on to do and that he'll grow up to serve God and prepare the way for Jesus and turn people's hearts back to God and help them find relationship with him. In fact, this is what he says here. He says, you will have great joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God and he will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. And so Zechariah you know, he's been chosen by lots. It's a special day. Wow, I can't believe I get to do this job. He goes into the temple. He wasn't expect. you know, he's like, this is a real privilege. And then an angel appears, speaking to him that his prayer, you know, a lifetime's prayer is going to be answered. He's going to have a son. And not only that, this son, you know, is going to prepare the way for the Lord, a part of God's plan to rescue the world. And Zechariah is hearing this, and he's like struggling to take it all in. After the years of pain and disappointment, he's struggling, he's, you know, there's an angel in front of him, but yet he's struggling to accept what the angel's saying. And he says this, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. And so he's hearing the angel's words, but he doesn't, he can't give himself to really believe what he's saying. And he's giving the reasons why it can't happen. You know, I'm an old man, this isn't possible anymore. How can I be sure? And he asks for a sign. And the angel says this, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. And it was he who sent me to bring you the good news. He's like, I've come a long way to tell you this. <laughs> but now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled in the proper time. And then Gabriel's like, I am the sign. <laughs> I am, <laughs> you know, what more sign you want? I am the sign. And, uh, okay, so big deal. And he says, you know, you're not going to be able to speak. Now, meanwhile, it says, everyone outside is waiting. What's going on in there? Meanwhile, the people were outside waiting for Zechariah to come out to the sanctuary, wondering why he was taking so long. And I'm sure many, a husband and boyfriend, will be able to identify with this feeling, maybe over the coming uh, Christmas period when some shopping takes place. We've got a few here illustrating for us what the, the priests outside looked like waiting for Zechariah. So then it says this. When he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. Then they realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision inside the sanctuary. And so the fact that Zechariah can't speak becomes the sign that God is doing something and is at work and that what Gabriel has said is about to happen. It's probably not the sign Zechariah had in mind, but it's going to do the job for him. So he returns home and soon after, Elizabeth becomes pregnant and she says, how kind the Lord is. And she recognizes that this is a miracle and a gift. And so we fast forward nine months, and next it says this. When it was time for Elizabeth's baby to be born, she gave birth to a son. And when her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had been very merciful to her, everyone rejoiced with her. So just as the angel promised, everyone celebrated with her. He said, many will rejoice at this birth. And they all did. And uh, eight days later, after John, uh, the child is born, it's time to name the child. That was the custom. They'd name the child on the eighth day, and the family and stuff would, would come along. And the family wanted to name him Zechariah after the father. That would have been the custom, Zechariah, son of Zechariah. But Elizabeth says, no, his name is John. And the family are like, what? The family exclaims, there's no one in your family uh, by that name. 
And so they used gestures to ask the baby's father what he wanted to name him. Now, this bit I find really intriguing because they used gestures to ask Zechariah. Now, Zechariah says he couldn't speak. And I'm wondering, was he deaf as well? Or did they just presume that he was deaf because he wasn't speak? Or had Zechariah taken the opportunity for some selective hearing over the last uh, nine months? Maybe there was a list of jobs that Elizabeth had for him around the house, but he thought, oh, I'll see, you know, and they're all doing that because, oh, sorry, sorry, I hope, you know, I don't know, anyway. A, few, a number of years, when I was a teenager, my mum once had really bad laryngitis, and she had lost her voice. And so, when we, you know, if we were asking her, she, she had a little notepad and pen where she would, you know, be writing down, you know, things or whatever. And I remember one day I came up into the bedroom, she was in bed, I can't remember, you know, I was asking her a question or something, and then she asked me a question in return, like, oh, what time are you home today? And then I started gesturing. <laughs> for the notepad, like, so I could answer. And then she just wrote in big letters, you can speak. And I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so maybe there was a little bit of that going on. I don't know. So anyway, this is what happens next. I was in sympathy, sympathy, no voice. Anyway, it says this. Um, Zechariah motioned for a writing tablet. And to everyone's surprise, he wrote, his name is John. And instantly, he could speak again and he began praising God. And so again, just as the angel said, the baby is born, and now, as he says, his name is John. He fulfills you know, his part of the deal to name him John. That promise is fulfilled, and he can speak, and he begins praising God. And I love this verse here, where it describes kind of the atmosphere at the time of all that was going on. It says this, wonder fell upon the whole neighborhood, And the news of what happened spread throughout the Judean hills. Everyone who heard about it reflected on these events and asked, what will this child turn out to be? I can imagine the excitement as people discussing it over, you know, over dinner or over their breakfast the next day. Like, you know, what's going on? Did you hear about Elizabeth? Did you hear about Zechariah? Did you hear hear he could speak again? Oh, I I I thought he was deaf as well. No, he could hear. You know, he was never deaf. And Chad, what on earth is going on? It reminds me of back when uh, we were in school and there was rumors of a snow day. And everyone would be checking the weather, and everyone would be talking about it, and, you know, looking outside, is it going to be snow, is it going to get cold off, you're listening to the radio, and you'd be like, oh, they got, they got snow in Merthyr already, is it going to come down to Swansea? No, uh, but there was excitement. <laughs> so next, it says, Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he gives this amazing prophecy about how his son will prepare the way for Jesus, and how God is rescuing the world. He says this, Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. So we can serve God without fear, in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High, because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. John grew up and became strong in spirit and he lived in the wilderness until he began his public ministry to Israel. And so I tried to imagine what would it have been like to have 
to have been there, you know, living under this like Roman oppression and Herod the Great and the challenges of that, and yet to hear that the light from heaven is about to break upon us, the excitement, the anticipation, the hope that this would bring, that in the midst of all this struggle, God is doing something and something's about to change. And for us, you know, today, fast forward 2,000 plus years, we know and live in the fulfillment of this promise. Because of God's tender mercy, he did come into the world. He came into the world, a man called Jesus, the light from heaven, breaking into the darkness of our broken world so that we could see who God is and what God is like and so we could know him for ourselves, so we could know his rescue in our lives. And Jesus came into our world. He lived as a man. He did amazing things. He shared God's love. He healed the sick. He spoke into people's lives and ultimately he died on the cross for the things that we've done wrong or ever will do so we could be forgiven for those things, the mistakes that we all make, so we could be forgiven and have a clean slate and so we could know friendship with God in our lives. And Jesus came back to life again. He defeated death. He's alive now in heaven. And his gift for us is the gift of eternal life. When we welcome him into our lives and into our hearts, when we receive the gift he has for us, he meets with us today. He brings friendship into our lives now. It lasts through our life and through death into eternity. That death isn't the end. But beyond this life, beyond the brokenness of our world, there's a promise, there's a promise of heaven, and that one day also Jesus will return to our world and all its brokenness will be wiped away. I love what Zechariah says here when he says, so we can serve God without fear for as long as we live. And for us too, whatever we face, we can live without fear every day of our lives for as long as we live. We can walk with a peace and an assurance in our thinking, and in our hearts, in our feeling, in our emotions, because Jesus is alive, and he is with us through all things, and he has fulfilled his promise. His promise for us is the assurance of eternity, where all will be made whole, where our bodies, our minds, our relationships, and our world, with all its struggles, its challenges, the tears and pain, all that we face will be made whole, will be restored, will be made good. And that will be our future. That is the future ahead of us. And so we can live with that assurance of what's ahead in our experience and in our lives today. Because ultimately, because of Jesus, everything will be okay. Everything will be okay because of what Jesus has done. And we can live in the knowledge of that now and allow that to strengthen us and bring peace to our hearts when we face the struggles of our broken world now. That when we trust in Jesus, we put our faith in him, ultimately it will be okay. And it'll be more than okay. It'll be amazing. In Hebrews it says this, this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. And so if there's anyone here actually in this moment where you are feeling anxious, or you're going through some challenges, I want to pray for you right now that you would be filled again with the hope and the strength and the peace of the Holy Spirit, and that his assurance would meet you in your heart, that you would know that he is with you, and that the future ahead of you is going to be good. So let me pray for you.
Jesus, I thank you for your promise, and I thank you what you fulfilled for us in your death and resurrection. And I thank you for the hope and the assurance of eternal life as we put our trust in you. And I pray for anyone here watching online at home that is going through a challenge at the moment. And I pray, would you fill them now with your peace? Would you meet them with your presence? I pray, would you, they know you close. As we, in that famous psalm, you know, even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. I thank you that you're close. And I ask right now, Holy Spirit, would you come? Meet us with your presence. Strengthen us with your love. And I pray, would you bring the truth of the assurance ahead of us into our hearts and minds that we can live out of that now as we face the things that we do today. I thank you that you are with us and we are with one another to help each other on this journey as well. In Jesus' name, amen. So when we look at Zechariah and Elizabeth, we see that all through their challenges, they lived with a hope and a purpose as well. And they held on to that. And so we'll have a little look at how they did it. So firstly, Zechariah. One thing I love about Zechariah and seeing this story is that even into his later years, and even with the disappointment and the challenge that he'd lived with over many years, he continued to worship God and he continued to be in community. He was present. He was there. He continued to join up with his division to go down to the temple and to serve the people and to worship God. He was there. He was an older man by this stage, and he probably could have got out of it if he wanted to. When his division was called up to go and serve, oh, you know, my knee's a bit dodgy at the moment, I can't quite make the journey, or I've done my bit, it's time for the next generation, you know, let the youngsters go and do it. But instead, he chose to go, and he was there. And it was on that day when he was there, when the angel appeared to him and said, oh, I can't do that, and said, your prayer has been heard. And this is a great encouragement to us as well, that maybe we have been praying for something over many years, and like Zechariah and Elizabeth, we're still waiting to see that prayer come through. We're still waiting for the answer. We're still waiting for it. But we can be assured that God has heard our prayer. Like he says to Zechariah, God has heard your prayer. And it encourages us to keep on praying and not to give up but to keep on pursuing the things that God wants to bring into our lives because he is good and because he wants to meet us in our broken world. Last week I was in Germany, as Adam said, and I was um, sharing with a church and speaking with them about praying for healing because we've seen many healings in our church here, haven't we? And, and they asked if I would, there's a friend of mine who's a pastor there and he asked if I would come and share with them. And while I was there, one of the stories I shared was my mum's story, which many of you have heard, but I will share it again. And when I was, uh, I don't know, maybe seven or eight, my mum had this um, like whiplash injury where she was actually in the gym and a guy threw a medicine ball at her. She caught it, but like the shock of it and the weight of it caused this injury in her neck. It was, uh, she had this neurological disability and it was like a weakness down one side. Sometimes she might be holding like a cup of tea or something, and then she would just lose all strength and it would smash on the floor. She lived in pain every day, uh, all down her neck and arm. It affected everything in our family. She lived with it for maybe seven, eight years. And the one of the things I remember, like as kids, we had to be careful. If we ran up and gave her a hug and we jolted her a little bit, it would send her into spasms and she'd be in bed for weeks in pain. Um, she used to love to paint, but she couldn't really do it very well much anymore. You know, driving could be a struggle. And we used to have these wheat bags, you know, these like hot wheat bags. 
And between me and my sisters, like in the evenings, it would be particularly bad, the pain. We would, every night, we'd be on rotation from the, like, the lounge to the kitchen, keeping these, we had three of them, didn't we? Keeping them warm, so she had a continuous like, supply of a warm wheat bag on her neck all evening. And obviously, you know, in the church, people had prayed for her over many years, many times, and it hadn't got any better until one day we were in a meeting in Penland, and there's a guy called Sam, who was a, a pastor uh, from Ghana, and then living in London. And he came, and as he was giving a talk, he said, oh, do you know what? I feel like God has uh, prompted me to pray for people with neck and shoulder injuries. Is there anyone here with neck pain? And a few people stood up. My mum happened to be in the front row, uh, so he prayed for her first. He prayed for her once. Nothing happened. He prayed for her again. Nothing happened. He prayed for her again. Nothing happened. At this point, it was getting a little bit embarrassing, but he kept praying for her, and then eventually, after a number of prayers, my mum said she felt like the tiniest bit of difference, but she just noticed almost like a, you know, a 1% or a pinprick of a change. He prayed for her again after a couple more prayers. All the pain had gone. My mum said it felt like she'd had a, a heavy man sat on her head for seven years, and he'd finally got off. And uh, the pain went. I was about 14. I was blown away because, you know, when you're living with something like that every day, you notice the change, isn't it? In family life, you notice the change. And she, you know, that problem has gone, and she hasn't had it since. And it was amazing. But it encourages me with that one. You know, I'd seen my dad and others pray for her over many years. But she continued to pray, and it was on that day when she was healed. So let's be encouraged, if we're praying for something, to continue to pray. Because we know God is good. We know he wants to bring healing into our lives, and so we can continue to pursue it because we know his character. So let's keep praying for things. Okay, next one, Elizabeth. What I love about Elizabeth, she lived by example. In her community, it says all her neighbors rejoiced with her at her good news. And I think that really says something, isn't it? When something good happens to someone and everyone's happy for them, it shows that you know, there's a reason because everyone loves this person. And there's a reason everyone loves this person because of the way that they've lived. It says this, uh, her neighbors and relatives, everyone rejoiced with her. We see as well how Elizabeth, she had a really important role to play in Jesus' life and in Jesus' birth. Now, Elizabeth's uh, miracle with her pregnancy, this was something that we've seen, a, there's been a few occasions like this in the Bible um, where her story is one of many. So you have Abraham and Sarah, uh, Jacob and Rachel, Hannah and Elkanah. You know, these were all kind of uh, miracle stories of people who hadn't been able to have children and then, and then later were. And I remember as a child being at a youth camp that we used to go to in the summers, and there was these great uh, children's workers, Hannah and Steve, this young couple. And, um, we, you know, I, they were brilliant. Um, but they, they were, had been unable to have children. And then one of the camps, the summers there, they shared it with my parents and that they'd, you know, they'd sought medical advice and they'd been told that it would be virtually impossible for them to conceive. And my parents prayed for them. And, and, then, and then they did conceive. And the next year, they had a little baby with them. And that was lovely. And uh, years later, when I was at uni, my, um, the student leaders there, uh, they didn't do student lunch, so maybe we could ring them up and give some tips. But the student leaders there, who were brilliant, Joe and Mark, they were in a similar position as well, and I remember them telling how they'd been to many meetings where people had shared these stories of, you know, where they hadn't been able to conceive, and people had prayed for them, and they had, and they'd been praying over many years, and were thinking, oh, you know, will this ever 
like happened, happened for us, you know, and they were in the same boat. And, um, but then again, one time when, after somebody prayed for them, they were able to conceive. And while I was at uni, they had a little boy called Theo, and uh, that was lovely to celebrate with them. So there's lots of, you know, amazing stories of this. So we can continue to pray with these things as well. Uh, and Elizabeth uh, obviously had a similar one. But when Gabriel appears to Mary in the same time and says that you will give birth to a son, Mary says, well, how is this possible? Because, you know, I'm a virgin. And so this, was a, this hadn't happened before. And uh, the angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby will, who will be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. And so for Mary, her miracle pregnancy, this had never happened before. You know, this was unique because God himself was coming into the world as a man. This was totally unique and unheard of. And socially, for Mary to be pregnant, you know, before she was engaged to Joseph, to be pregnant outside of marriage at that time would have been very, very difficult. So for her, this is a lot to process. Could you imagine that news coming to you? This would be a lot to process. This was a big ask of her. Uh, But then the angel says this. After giving her this news, this is what he says next. He encourages her with Elizabeth's story, and Elizabeth's example. He says, what's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she's already in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible for God. And on hearing this, after hearing about what's happened to Elizabeth, it's at this point that Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said come true to me. And then Mary goes straight to visit Elizabeth. And Elizabeth believes Mary's story and is a great support to her. But crucially here, it's Elizabeth's story and Elizabeth's life, when that's shared with Mary, that encourages Mary in her own journey and in her own saying yes to God and what he wants to do through her life. And in the same way for us, our stories, our lives, the way we live out our faith day in, day out, has a crucial part to play in helping others around us discover Jesus for themselves too and for them to say their own yes to God and the welcome and plans and purposes that he has for their lives. And so let's be encouraged in our own life, in how we live, how we share, especially in this Christmas season, to continue to share our faith, to share our stories of what God has done in our lives, to be praying for our friends and praying for our families, personally, in our own time when we're at home, and when we're with people, and if a need arises, that we can pray for them, that God would bless them, that God would help them, that God would be with them, that God would heal them, whatever the different thing is, that we can bring this to others too. Let's be ready. Let's invite. We've got great Christmas services coming up, some great Christmas events. Let's invite people. Let's invite our friends because we have a part to play, just like Elizabeth had a part to play in Mary and in what was coming forward in Jesus. Okay, lastly then, there's something of God's character revealed in the story as well. When the baby is born, Zechariah says, his name is John. And this this name was given by God. God said, call him John. You know, why was that important? Why did God want him to have this name? There's a saying, or some people say, that when, you give a, that when a, someone names a baby, it reveals more about the giver of the name than the child itself, because their character and personality hasn't come yet. 
but you know, it comes from the family or the parents' heart to give this name. So what do these names mean, and why did God give these names? Well, John means the Lord is gracious, and Jesus means the Lord saves. And these were the two names that the angel said, you know, call him John, and to Mary, call him Jesus. And it reveals the character of God, that this is who God is, and this is what we see in this story, and this is what we see in our lives, that God is gracious and that God saves. And I love how in the middle of God rescuing the world, how we see this worked out, the way that he does it, that God is so personal that the first thing he does is he brings great joy and answers a long prayer to a couple, an elderly couple like Zechariah and Elizabeth. God has heard your prayer and he will be a joy and delight to you. And so the first thing he does is he brings joy and delight to this couple. I love how personal God is. And then, it's more than that, though, that this is something for the whole world, because it says, many will rejoice at his birth. For us, too, the hope that we have, the way that God has met us in a personal way, in a loving way, to bring his grace into our lives, his rescue into our lives, his kindness into our lives. He meets us personally, but it's not just for us. It's for the whole world. It's for our friends. It's for our work colleagues. It's for our city. Let's be a people who receive it personally and share it out. It's to give away. This is what John did, and he pointed to Jesus, and that's an example for us. So should we go do that? Great. Let me pray to finish off. Lord, I thank you for your kindness, your grace, and your rescue. And I thank you that you meet us in our lives in this way. And I pray, would you help us as well at this time, that we would take all that you've poured into our lives and given to us, and that we would be generous in the way that we share it with others, in the way that we share our faith and live out our faith, and the way that we invite, the way that we pray and bless others. And I pray that right now you would come and bring your blessing on each person here, that they would know again a fresh experience of your goodness and kindness in our lives, and that we'd bring that to others as well. So I thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.